Section 30 of Volume 1A of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roeg 11. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1A, Section 30. Chapter 5, Part 2. All orders of men, deeming the Crusades the only road to heaven, enlisted themselves under these sacred banners and were impatient to open the way with their sword to the holy city. Nobles, artisans, peasants, even priests enrolled their names, and to decline this meritorious service was branded with the reproach of impiety, or, perhaps was esteemed still more disgraceful, of cowardice and pusillanimity. Or, perhaps what was esteemed still more disgraceful, of cowardice and pusillanimity the infirm and aged contributed to the expedition by presents and money and many of them not satisfied with the merit of this atonement attended it in person and were determined if possible to breathe their last in sight of that city where their savior had died for them women themselves concealing their sex under the disguise of armor attended the camp and commonly forgot still more the duty of their sex by prostituting themselves without reserve to the army. The greatest criminals were forward in a service which they regarded as a propitiation for all crimes, and the most enormous disorders were, during the course of those expeditions, committed by men inured to wickedness encouraged by example and impelled by necessity the multitude of adventurers soon became so great that their more sagacious leaders hugh count of vermandois brother of the french king raymond count of toulouse godfrey of bouillon prince of barbant and stephen count of blois became apprehensive lest the greatness itself of the armament should disappoint its purpose, and they permitted an undisciplined multitude, computed at three hundred thousand men, to go before them, under the command of Peter the Hermit and Walter the Moneyless. These men took the road towards Constantinople, though Hungary and Bulgaria, and that trusting haven by supernatural assistance would supply all their necessities, they made no provision of sustenance on their march. They soon found themselves obliged to obtain by plunder what they had vainly expected from miracles, and the enraged inhabitants of the countries through which they passed, gathering together in arms, attacked the disorderly multitude and put them to slaughter without resistance. The more disciplined armies followed after, and passing the straits at Constantinople, they were mustered in the plains of Asia, and amounted in the whole number to seven hundred thousand combatants. 
Amidst this universal frenzy, which spread itself by contagion throughout Europe, especially in France and Germany, men were not entirely forgetful of their present interests, and both those who went on this expedition and those who stayed behind entertained schemes of gratifying by its means their avarice or their ambition. The nobles who enlisted themselves were moved from the romantic spirit of the age to hope for opulent establishments in the East, the chief seat of arts and commerce during those ages, and in pursuit of these chimerical projects they sold at the lowest price their ancient castles and inheritances, which had now lost all value in their eyes. The greater princes who remained at home, besides establishing peace in their dominions by giving occupation abroad to the inquietude and martial disposition of their subjects, took the opportunity of annexing to their crown many considerable fiefs, either by purchase or by the extinction of heirs. The Pope frequently turned the zeal of the crusaders from the infidels against his own enemies, whom he represented as equally criminal with the enemies of Christ. The convents and other religious societies bought the possessions of the adventurers, and as the contributions of the faithful were commonly entrusted to their management, they often diverted to this purpose what was intended to be employed against the infidels. But no one was a more immediate gainer by this epidemic fury than the king of England, who kept aloof from all connections with those fanatical and romantic warriors. Robert, Duke of Normandy, impelled by the bravery and mistaken generosity of his spirit, had early enlisted himself in the crusade. But being always unprovided with money, he found that it would be impracticable for him to appear in a manner suitable to his rank and station at the head of his numerous vassals and subjects, who, transported with the general rage, were determined to follow him into Asia. He resolved, therefore, to mortgage, or rather sell, his dominions, which he had not talents to govern, and he offered them to his brother William for the very unequal sum of ten thousand marks. The bargain was soon concluded. The king raised the money by violent extortions on his subjects of all ranks, even on the convents, who were obliged to melt their plate in order to furnish the quota demanded of them. He was put in possession of Normandy and Maine, and Robert, providing himself with a magnificent train, set out for the Holy Land, in pursuit of glory and in full confidence of securing his eternal salvation. The smallness of this sum, with the difficulties which William found in raising it, suffices alone to refute the account which is heedlessly adopted by historians of the enormous revenue of the conqueror. Is it credible that Robert would consign to the rapacious hands of his brother such considerable dominions for a sum which, according to that account, made not a week's income of his father's English revenue alone? or that the king of England could not on demand, without oppressing his subjects, have been able to pay him the money. The conqueror, it is agreed, was frugal as well as rapacious, 
yet his treasure at his death exceeded not sixty thousand pounds which hardly amounted to his income for two months another certain refutation of that exaggerated account the fury of the crusades during this age less infected england than the neighboring kingdoms probably because the norman conquerors finding their settlement in that kingdom still somewhat precarious durst not abandon their homes in quest of distant adventures the selfish interested spirit also of the king which kept him from kindling in the general flame checked his progress among his subjects and as he is accused of open profaneness and was endued with a sharp wit it is likely that he made the romantic chivalry of the crusades the object of his perpetual raillery as an instance of his religion we are told that he once accepted of sixty marks from a jew whose son had been converted to Christianity, and who engaged him by that present to assist him in bringing back the youth to Judaism. William employed both menaces and persuasion for that purpose, but finding the convert obstinate in his new faith, he sent for the father, and told him that as he had not succeeded, it was not just that he should keep the present. But as he had done his utmost, it was but equitable that he should be paid for his pains, and he would therefore retain only thirty marks of the money. At another time, it is said, he sent for some learned Christian theologians and some rabbis, and bade them fairly dispute the question of their religion in his presence. He was perfectly indifferent between them, had his ears open to reason and conviction and would embrace that doctrine which upon comparison should be found supported by the most solid arguments if this story be true it is probable that he meant only to amuse himself by turning both into ridicule but we must be cautious of admitting everything related by the monkish historians to the disadvantage of this prince he had the misfortune to be engaged in quarrels with the ecclesiastics particularly with Anselm, commonly called St. Anselm, Archbishop of Canterbury, and it is no wonder his memory should be blackened by the historians of that order. After the death of Lefranc, the king for several years retained in his own hands the revenues of Canterbury, as he did those of many other vacant bishoprics. But falling into dangerous sickness, he was seized with remorse, and the clergy represented to him that he was in danger of eternal perdition if before his death he did not make atonement for those multiple impieties and sacrileges of which he had been guilty he resolved therefore to supply instantly the vacancy of canterbury and for that purpose he sent for anselm a piedmontese by birth abbot of b in normandy who was much celebrated for his learning and piety the abbot earnestly refused the dignity fell on his knees wept and entreated the king to change his purpose and when he found the prince obstinate in forcing the pastoral staff upon him he kept his fist so fast clenched that it required the utmost violence of the bystanders to open it and force him to receive that ensign of spiritual dignity william soon after recovered 
and his passions regaining their wonted vigor he returned to his former violence and rapine he detained in prison several persons whom he had ordered to be freed during the time of his penitence he still preyed upon the ecclesiastical benefices the sale of the spiritual dignities continued as open as ever and he kept possession of a considerable part of the revenues belonging to the see of canterbury but he found in anselm that preserving opposition which he had reason to expect from the ostentatious humility which that prelate had displayed in refusing his promotion the opposition made by anselm was the more dangerous on account of the character of piety which he soon acquired in england by his great zeal against all abuses particularly those in dress and ornament there was a mode which in that age prevailed throughout europe both among men and women to give an enormous length to their shoes to draw the toe to a sharp point and to affix to it the figure of a bird's bill or some such ornament which was turned upwards and which was often sustained by gold or silver chains tied to the knee the ecclesiastics took exception to this ornament which they said was an attempt to belie the scripture where it is affirmed that no man can add a cubit to his stature and they declaimed against it with great vehemence nay assembled some synods which absolutely condemned it but such are the strange contradictions in human nature though the clergy at that time could overturn thrones and had authority sufficient to send above a million of men on their errand to the deserts of asia they could never prevail against these long pointed shoes on the contrary that caprice contrary to all other modes maintained its ground during several centuries and if the clergy had not at last desisted from their persecution of it it might still have been the prevailing fashion in europe but anselm was more fortunate in decrying the particular mode which was the object of his aversion and which probably had not taken such fast hold of the affections of the people he preached zealously against the long hair and curled locks which were then fashionable among the courtiers he refused the ashes on ash wednesday to those who were so accoutred and his authority and eloquence had such influence that the young men universally abandoned that ornament and appeared in the cropped hair which was recommended to them by the sermons of the primate the noted historian of anselm who was also his companion and secretary celebrates highly this effort of his zeal and piety when william's profaneness therefore returned to him with his health he was soon engaged in controversies with this austere prelate there was at that time a schism in the church between urban and clement who both pretended to the papacy and anselm who as the abbot of b had already acknowledged the former was determined without the king's consent to introduce his authority into england william who imitating his father's example had prohibited his subjects from recognizing any pope whom he had not previously received was enraged at this attempt and summoned a synod at buckingham with an intention of deposing anselm 
but the prelates suffragans declared that without the papal authority they knew of no expedient for inflicting that punishment on their primate the king was at last engaged by other motives to give the preference to urban's title anselm received the pall of that pontiff and matters seemed to be accommodated between the king and the primate when the quarrel broke out afresh from a new cause william had undertaken an expedition against wales and required the archbishop to furnish his quota of soldiers for that service but anselm who regarded the demand as an oppression on the church and yet durst not refuse compliance sent them so miserably accoutred that the king was extremely displeased and threatened him with the prosecution anselm on the other hand demanded positively that all the revenues of his see should be restored to him appealed to born against the king's injustice and affairs came to such extremities that the primate finding it dangerous to remain in the kingdom desired and obtained the king's permission to retire beyond the sea all his temporalities were seized but he was received with great respect by urban who considered him as a martyr in the cause of religion and even menaced the king on account of his proceedings against the primate and the church with the sentence of excommunication anselm assisted at the council of barry where besides fixing the controversy between the greek and latin churches concerning the procession of the holy ghost the right of election to church preferments was declared to belong to the clergy alone and spiritual censures were denounced against all ecclesiastics who did homage to laymen for their sees or benefices and against all laymen who exacted it the right of homage by feudal customs was that the vassal should throw himself on his knees should put his joined hands between those of his superior and should in that posture swear fealty to him but the council declared it execrable that pure hands which could create god and could offer him up as a sacrifice for the salvation of mankind should be put after this humiliating manner between profane hands which besides being inured to rapine and bloodshed were employed day and night in impure purposes and obscene contacts such were the reasonings prevalent in that age reasonings which though they cannot be passed over in silence without omitting the most curious and perhaps not the least instructive part of history can scarcely be delivered with the requisite decency and gravity the cession of normandy and maine by duke robert increased the king's territories but brought him no great increase of power because of the unsettled state of those countries the mutinous disposition of the barons and the vicinity of the french king who supported them all in their insurrections even Hilai, lord of la Fleche, a small town in anjou was able to give him inquietude and this great monarch was obliged to make several expeditions abroad without being able to prevail over so petty a baron who had acquired the confidence and affections of the inhabitants of maine he was however so fortunate as at last to take him prisoner in a recounter but having released him at the intercession of the french king and the count of anjou 
he found the province of maine still exposed to his intrigues and incursions he lie being introduced by the citizens into the town of mans besieged the garrison in the citadel william who was hunting in the new forest when he received intelligence of this hostile attempt was so provoked that he immediately turned his horse and galloped to the seashore at dartmouth declaring that he would not stop a moment till he had taken vengeance for the offence he found the weather so cloudy and tempestuous that the mariners thought it dangerous to put out to sea but the king hurried on board and ordered them to set sail instantly telling them that they never yet heard of a king that was drowned by this vigor and celerity he delivered the citadel of mans from its present danger and pursuing Heli into his own territories, he laid siege to Majol, a small castle in those parts. But a wound which he received before this place obliged him to raise the siege, and he returned to England. The weakness of the great monarchs during this age, in their military expeditions against their nearest neighbors, appears the more surprising when we consider the prodigious numbers which even petty princes seconding the enthusiastic rage of the people were able to assemble and to conduct in dangerous enterprises to the remote provinces of asia william earl of poitiers and duke of guienne inflamed with the glory and not discouraged by the misfortunes which had attended the former adventurers of the crusades had put himself at the head of an immense multitude computed by some historians to amount to sixty thousand horse and a much greater number of foot and he purposed to lead them into the holy land against the infidels he wanted money to forward the preparations requisite for this expedition and he offered to mortgage all his dominions to william without entertaining any scruple on account of that rapacious and iniquitous hand to which he resolved to consign them the king accepted the offer and had prepared a fleet and an army in order to escort the money and take possession of the rich provinces of guienne and poictou when an accident put an end to his life and to all his ambitious projects he was engaged in hunting the sole amusement and indeed the chief occupation of princes in those rude times when society was little cultivated and the arts afforded few objects worthy of attention walter tyrrell a french gentleman remarkable for his address in archery attended him in this recreation of which the new forest was the scene and as william had dismounted after a chase Tyrrell, impatient to show his dexterity, let fly an arrow at a stag which suddenly started before him. The arrow, glancing from a tree, struck the king in the breast and instantly slew him. While Tyrrell, without informing anyone of the accident, put spurs to his horse, hastened to the seashore, embarked for France, and joined the crusade in an expedition to Jerusalem. A penance which he imposed on himself for this involuntary crime the body of william was found in the forest by the country people and was buried without any pomp or ceremony at winchester his courtiers were negligent in performing the last duties to a master who was so little beloved 
and every one was too much occupied in the interesting object of fixing his successor to attend the funeral of a dead sovereign the memory of this monarch is transmitted to us with little advantage by the churchmen whom he had offended and though we may suspect in general that their account of his vices is somewhat exaggerated his conduct affords little reason for contradicting the character which they have assigned him or for attributing to him any very estimable qualities he seems to have been a violent and tyrannical prince a perfidious encroaching and dangerous neighbor an unkind and ungenerous relation he was equally prodigal and rapacious in the management of his treasury and if he possessed abilities he lay so much under the government of impetuous passions that he made little use of them in his administration and he indulged without reserve that domineering policy which suited his temper and which if supported as it was in him with courage and vigor proves often more successful in disorderly times than the deepest foresight and most refined artifice the monuments which remain of this prince in england are the tower westminster hall and london bridge which he built the most laudable foreign enterprise which he undertook was the sending of edgar atheling three years before his death into scotland with a small army to restore prince edgar the true heir of that kingdom son of malcolm and of margaret sister of edgar atheling and the enterprise proved successful it was remarked in that age that richard an elder brother of williams perished by an accident in the new forest and richard his nephew natural son of duke robert lost his life in the same place after the same manner and all men upon the king's fate exclaimed that as the conqueror had been guilty of extreme violence in expelling all the inhabitants of that large district to make room for his game the just vengeance of heaven was signalized in the same place by the slaughter of his posterity william was killed in the thirteenth year of his reign and about the fortieth of his age as he was never married he left no legitimate issue in the eleventh year of this reign magnus king of norway made a descent on the isle of anglesey but was repulsed by hugh earl of shrewsbury this is the last attempt made by the northern nations upon england that restless people seem about this time to have learned the practice of tillage which thenceforth kept them at home and freed the other nations of europe from the devastations spread over them by those piratical invaders this proved one great cause of the subsequent settlement and improvement of the southern nations end of section thirty recording by roeg eleven